Well, if I were to ask you your favorite text in the Bible, I doubt too many would say Zephaniah 2, 4 to 15. But if you'd open your Bibles there, please, that's the passage we're going to look at this evening, Zephaniah 2. We're going to be looking at verses 4 to 15, and there's a lot in here. Follow along as I read. For Gaza, now I want to just back up because that begins with that conjunction 4. So the Lord is basically challenging Israel, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you'll be hidden in the day of my anger. For Gaza will be abandoned, and Ashkelon a desolation. Ashdod will be driven out at noon, and Ekron will be uprooted. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Carathites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. And I will destroy you so that there will be no inhabitant. So the seacoast will be pastures with caves for shepherds and folds for flocks. And the coast will be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They will pasture on it. In the houses of Ashkelon, they will lie down in the evening. For the Lord their God will care for them and restore their fortune. I've heard the taunting of Moab and the revilings of the sons of Ammon with which they have taunted my people and become arrogant against their territory. Therefore, as I live, now watch this, as I live declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Don't miss that. Surely Moab will be like Sodom and the sons of Ammon like Gomorrah, a place possessed by nettles and salt pits and a perpetual desolation. The remnant of my people will plunder them and the remainder of my nation will inherit them. This they will have in return for their pride, because they've taunted and become arrogant against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be terrifying to them, for he will starve all the gods of the earth, and all the coastlands of the nations will bow down to him, every one from his own place. You also, O Ethiopians, will be slain by my sword, and he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. He will make Nineveh a desolation, parched like wilderness. Flocks will lie down in her midst. All beasts which range in herds, both the pelican and the hedgehog, will lodge in the tops of her pillars. Birds will sing in the window. Desolation will be on the threshold, for he has laid bare the cedar work. This is the exultant city which dwells securely, who says in her heart, I am, and there's no one besides me, how she has become a desolation, a resting place for beasts. Everyone who passes by her will hiss and wave his hand in contempt. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your precious word, and we thank you for the fact that you have given us all of these 66 books, and what a unique portion of scripture this turns out to be. As we analyze it tonight, I pray the Spirit of God will minister to our minds and hearts, and we will thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we pointed out in the scripture reading tonight, this section comes after the Lord had challenged Israel to seek the Lord, and perhaps, perhaps, if you do, you'll be hidden from the wrath of God. Now, we learn from the book of Zechariah in chapter 13 and verse 8 that during the tribulation period when God is pouring out his wrath, two-thirds of the nation Israel is going to be killed. We learn from Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 8 that only one-third of the nation Israel is going to survive. And so what we would learn from that is during that tribulation period, there is going to be a judgment against Israel, the likes of which she's never seen or experienced before. 
Now, it appears as though things are beginning to take shape for the tribulation events. But what God wants us to realize is when that goes down, Israel's not the only place that's going to be hit. In fact, what God wants to make very clear here is I'm going to judge all nations. His primary point here is you respond to God's warning of coming judgment or you're going to be destroyed by the judgment. Now, one of the things that makes this passage intriguing is that many of the places named in the section are the exact places that are part of the present-day war against Israel. The Gaza Strip sits along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. The cities that are named in this section of Zephaniah are some of the cities that are located in the exact spot where this war is taking place. Now, the modern events that are taking place at the Gaza Strip and in Israel are not the complete fulfillment of what is described here, but it certainly could be a key prelude to prophetic events that are described here. The people in these areas would do well to take notice of what's predicted here, and what's predicted here is not pleasant. In fact, I would say that probably what is happening right now is that the clouds are forming in this part of the world for the very events that are prophesied by Zephaniah right here. What we learn here is that God is going to pour out his wrath on the Gaza Strip region for the persistent, arrogant evil that the Arabs have directed and administered and done against Israel. God is going to level all of Israel's neighbors. You can't help but see that in this text. God's going to level most of the Arab world. And what we know is that Israel has been arrogantly attacked by people who live in these very areas. They've used terrorist methods to demean and threaten and attack the nation Israel. And God says, I want you to understand something. I've been watching this arrogance, and I've been watching the way they've been treating my nation. They're going to pay a high price. Now, the area has been known for this attitude toward Israel for a long, long time. In fact, the people who live in the Gaza Strip quite frankly, have been a thorn in Israel's side ever since Joshua took them into the promised land. That land at the time was controlled by the Philistines, and now it's land that's controlled by Arabs. I've produced for you two maps. I want you to take the map that has a little writing on it that looks like we've scribbled some things a little less professional than the other map. We'll get to the other map a little later. But this first map, I want you to notice where the war zone is. I've kind of put two arrows where the war zone is. I want you to put a straight line there under Joppa, just a little ways south of Joppa. And then I want you to put another straight line up the coast there, just under Tyre. So the Gaza Strip is controlled in that area that runs up just south of Joppa. And then if you go just north of the line that I told you to put under Tyre, That all land is controlled by Arabs. It is land that God has given to Israel. It's land that is supposed to belong to her. And God basically says, eventually, I'm going to give her all of that land. And he tells her that right here. And there are eight points that I want to show you that are prophetic parts to this. 
First of all, the judgments that God promises against those in the Gaza Strip region. In verses 4 and 5, Gaza will be abandoned, Ashkelon desolation, Astad driven out at noon, Ekron will be uprooted. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Carathites, the word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines, and I will destroy you so that there will be no inhabitant. Now, tonight, there are approximately 2 million people that live in the Gaza Strip. And God promises seven specific judgments against those people that are living in those areas. And you cannot help but see, when you look at this, these are very specific predictions. I mean, these are not abstract. Now, the order of the prediction goes from south to north. What Zephaniah is going to do here is he's going to start with Gaza, and I assume it's Gaza the city, not just the Gaza Strip. Then he's going to move up the coast north. Now, the first judgment is the judgment against Gaza, and the judgment against Gaza is it will be abandoned. Now, there are some people that try to say that this particular fulfillment of this prophecy occurred back many years ago, but quite honestly, what's predicted here just has never been totally fulfilled in any of these texts that we're looking at tonight. In fact, right now, in the Gaza city, there are 590,481 people, so it hasn't been abandoned. And also right now, Gaza is known for fish and agriculture and textile exports. Gaza and Ashkelon and Ashdod and Ekron were four of the five major Philistine cities that were on the Mediterranean coast. And what we would understand here is that there is trouble that's in Gaza right now. We certainly understand that. In fact, ever since December 1, there's been no aid that's come into Gaza, and those people are beginning to hurt for drinking water. And they're wondering if they're going to get any more supplies in this area. What the prediction is, is Gaza will be completely abandoned. The second judgment is the judgment of Ashkelon. It will be desolation. That hasn't happened yet. Ashkelon tonight has 132,557 people in it. In fact, it is called by some a beautiful community. It is a city that stands 12 miles north of the city of Gaza. It's known for its aerospace and defense industries. It's known for its superior technology. And also it's known for advancements in technology. And what God says he's going to do is going to bring it to desolation. Ashdod will be driven. That's what's stated in verse 4. Ashdod will be driven out at noon. Now that hasn't happened yet. The population of Ashdod tonight is around 220,883 people. There's a large contingency of Jewish people that live in Ashdod. Ashdod is known for the highest port for imports and citrus crop exports. And what is specifically predicted here, and God is telling him exactly when he's going to do this. He said, when I fulfill this prophecy, I'm going to do it at noon. In fact, he brings that point out. Ashdod will be driven out at noon. So he says, I'll show you when I'm going to do this. What I'm going to do is drive you completely out of that land and it's going to be at midday, it's going to be at noon, you aren't going to be anticipating this, but that's exactly what I'm going to do, and that's the time I am going to do it. He's telling them, I'm going to destroy you at noon. Now that obviously has not happened yet. Now the fourth judgment is Ekron will be uprooted, that's what's predicted in verse 4. Ekron is a place right now, it's called Telmik, and it is a place that has about 11,000 people that are living there tonight. It is a place that has been rebuilt, 
And the statement about Ekron is it's going to be uprooted. I think it's interesting because what it's known for in that area is the production of olive oil. I don't think when God says I'm going to uproot it, it's just some metaphor for destruction. He's saying literally this is the area that has the olive trees that produce all of these olive oil substances. I'm literally going to just uproot that and take that away. The fifth judgment is the seacoast inhabitants. They're going to receive a woe judgment. That's what he says in verse 5, woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast. Now, a woe judgment in the Bible is the worst of all. So if you run that coast, I mean, he talks about the whole seacoast there. So you can start with Gaza, and you can go Ashkelon, and you go up to Joppa, and you can go to Tel Aviv, and you can go to Caesarea. You can run the coast. And God says, what I'm going to do when I reach this point, when I'm going to pour out my wrath, is I'm going to allow all of these people and places to receive a woe judgment. Those places that are up there by Tyre and North, they're going to receive a judgment because they sit also on the coast. The sixth judgment is the judgment against the Carathites. And the specific word that the Lord uses here is, I'm against you. I'm against you. Now, it's interesting that he brings up these Carathites because these Carathites are probably the only group that really doesn't live in the land proper of Israel. In fact, uh, most uh, believe that the island from which the Philistines came was the island of Crete, which is located 600 miles to the northwest of this particular promised land out there in the Aegean Sea. And so it's a long ways away. What God is saying here is, hey, wait a minute. You people who think that just because you're not in the land, but you demean my people, I'm the God of Israel, you demean Israel, you think you're out there somewhere way far away getting away from judgment, I'm going to track you down. I'm coming after you, and I'm going to be against you. And whenever you read that in the Bible, the word of the Lord is against you, the Carathites. That's as serious as it gets. Because what that means is God is never going to be on your side. He's never going to be for you. He's going to be perpetually against you. The seventh judgment is the Philistines in the land of Canaan will be destroyed and annihilated. He says that in verse 5, O Canaan, land of Philistines, I will destroy you so that there will be no inhabitant. Now when God says that, there'll be no inhabitant. We know there's no place in history where this has yet been fulfilled. Because the language here would specifically state there's going to be a time when no one's going to exist here. I will see to it, God says, that no person will exist in this area who's not part of that remnant of my people. I'm going to remove them all. And the land of Canaan is a land that covers plains areas, it covers coastal regions, it covers a lot of territory. God says, I will remove them all. Now, that's the first part of this prophecy. The second part is the specific Gaza land will be given back to Israel. Notice verse 6. So the seacoast will be pastures with caves for shepherds and folds for flocks, and the coast will be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They will pasture on it in the houses of Ashkelon. They will lie down at evening, for the Lord their God will care for them and restore their fortune. Now, what God promises to do for Israel in the future is to give her back every inch of her land. When you read through the Bible, you cannot help but see God promises Israel a very specific land. I'd like you to go, if you would, to Genesis 15, and I want to show you the boundary limits of that land, and then we're going to go to our second map. 
So I'd like you to go to Genesis 15, if you would. Genesis 15. And if you can, get your second map, because I want to show you this. Now, the map that we have given you tonight was done for us. I had this done by Hans Stoley, who was a cartographer who taught cartography and map making at Western Michigan University. And we took the land boundaries that are given in the scriptures for the land that God promises to give in Israel. And he went to work on producing the map that you have that shows these very places where one day God says these people are going to have the land. Now in Genesis 15, beginning in verse 18, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants I've given this land from the river of Egypt. So if you look on that map, we go to the Nile River of Egypt as far as the great river Euphrates. So you go from the Nile River in Egypt straight across all the way into Iraq to the great river Euphrates. The Kenite, the Kesnazite, and the Kadmonite. Now they're all down there by that word Egypt. So to the right of there, you see there the Kenite. So you can just say, well, there's where that is. And the Hittite, the Hittite's up in Turkey. You'll notice that we state where the Hittites are located there, up there north in Turkey. And the Perizzite, if you look at the Perizzite, they're down there just below Jordan. That's Arab territory tonight, but it's that land that's just, you can see where it says Perizzite. Then you have the Rephaim, and the Rephaim here are located just up there by Damascus. There you have the Rephaim. And then you have the Amorite, and then you've got the Canaanite, the Canaanites along the coast there. You can see the Canaanite there. And then the Girgashite, the Girgashite, that's down there just in the south of the Dead Sea region. And then you have finally the Jebusite, which is up there by Jerusalem. So here is the land that God says, one day I'm going to give to Abraham's seed. It starts right there. There's the totality of it. You have a map of what God is promising here. Now God says, I have promised Israel a land. When you study the history of Israel, for the most part, she hasn't had a fraction of this. Even at best, during the days of David and Solomon, she never had anything close to this land. But if you look at a breakdown of the promised land today, and you look at the area that surrounds the land promised to her, what you will notice is it's controlled by Arabs. We would say it's controlled by Arab Palestinians. The vast majority of the land that is supposed to belong to Israel is controlled tonight by Arab Palestinians. God says, I'm going to take that all away from them. And he says, he makes five specific amazing predictions. I'm going to give the seacoast land, it'll become Israel's pasture land. So he says in verse 6, the seacoast will become pasture. So you take that land along the Gaza Strip and you go up north and you go up to Ashdod and Ashkelon and then you go up north of Tyre and then you go all over that land. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take that land. It'll become so depopulated of people that are there that it's going to be pasture land for my people. He says, secondly, the cave areas will become areas for Israel's shepherds and sheep. He says in verse 6, with the caves for shepherds and folds for flocks. There'll be nothing in the land that will intimidate Israel. Nothing in the land will intimidate a Jewish person. People will freely move through the promised land. They'll be able to go into cave areas. They won't be threatened by that. They won't have any fear of that because God is going to see to it. 
The third prediction is the coastal land will become home to the remnant of Judah. That's what he says in verse 7. And the coast will be for the remnant of the house of Judah. Israel has never really totally controlled the coast. And I studied a map during the days of David and Solomon, and that's when they had the most land. They didn't even control the entire coastland there, certainly to the north. But the prediction here is that one day all of that land's going to be hers. They will pasture their flocks in the land. That's what he reinforces there in verse 7. Now, these coastal areas are not known today for flocks of sheep. I mean, the fact is, tonight, if you were to go to those coastal areas, that's a dangerous place to be. Primarily, the industry that is given in those areas is strawberries, citrus, dates, olives, flowers, various vegetables. There's a small production of textile industry and food processing. But what you don't see in that land are flocks of sheep. In fact, no one would dare, let's take a flock of sheep and go to the coastal area, because they would be afraid of trespassing. And if you start trespassing, you can get shot. What's predicted here is a time when the land will be so open and free to the Jewish people to the point that shepherds will just wander around the land with their flocks without any fear. The second prediction here is they'll live in houses that were built by the Palestinians. Verse 7 says, in the houses of Ashkelon they will lie down. Now that's never been fulfilled. See, some of the old Bible teachers say, oh, this was all fulfilled years ago. Well, okay, in verse 4 we read Ashkelon will be a total desolation, but then we read here that in verse 7 that the houses of Ashkelon are going to ultimately house the Israelis. It's estimated tonight that you have at least 420 houses in Ashkelon tonight that house over 1,100 people. So that hasn't been fulfilled. What God says, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to so give my people the land that they're going to be able to live in that land and they will be able to take over the actual houses they didn't even build. They'll be able to go in there and just enjoy life, living in houses that were built by Arabs. The fourth prediction is, I will personally care for Israel. That's what he says in verse 7, for the Lord their God will care for them. And I want you to notice the nouns that are used here. The Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, D, that's Jehovah, the covenant sovereign God of Israel. The Lord their God, Elohim, the creator God of Israel, the sovereign creator says, I'm going to personally take care of Israel. And fifthly, God will personally restore Israel's fortunes. He says in verse 7, I will restore their fortune. God makes a promise. The promise is one day all of this turmoil in the Middle East is going to end. I'm going to put an end to it, God says. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to see to it that Israel is brought to that land to inherit every single inch of the promised land that God has promised to her. And if Jewish people were wise, they'd turn to Jesus Christ right now. Because God blesses people who do that. If Gentile people were wise, they'd turn to Jesus Christ right now. If Arabs were wise, they'd turn to Jesus Christ right now. But these prophetic predictions, most people don't take seriously. But God says, this is what I'm going to do. Now the third part to it is God describes what he had seen and heard from the Palestinians in verse 8. I have heard the taunting of Moab and the revilings of the sons of Ammon with which they've taunted my people and become arrogant against their territory. We're going to 
move now out to different territory. The Moabites and the Ammonites, they lived east of Judah. They're also tonight Arab areas. So if we combine this land with the land that's already mentioned, God says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to, and you can see that on the map that shows the totality of the land that she's one day going to have. God says, I'm going to give Israel every inch of that land that right now is controlled by Palestinians, Syrians, Jordanians, and Arabs. Now, God knows and tracks the attitudes that people have for Israel. And I warn every one of us in this church, do not think lightly or speak lightly of Jewish people. That's a dangerous thing to do. That's why we esteem Israel in this church. We pray for Israel in this church. We do what we can to support Israel in this church. They're the apple of God's eye. The Palestinian Arabs have been known for their verbal insults and threats against Israel. We have leaders in Washington, D.C. right now who run Israel down. They make mockery of her, and God says, I'm listening into this stuff. My ears open to this. I'm tracking this. What I want people to know is there will come a point in time when I'll target those who've done those kinds of things, and I'm going to come after them. And he brings out three facts. These are the type of people that God says, I've heard taunting Israel. These are the kind of people that have been reviling Israel. These are the kind of people who have an arrogance against Israel and against her land. We have a squad in Congress of people who, quite frankly, are arrogant and defiant against Israel. There are people who literally speak out and lash out against Israel. But God says, I want you to know something. I'm warning you. I'm warning you that you have that kind of attitude toward my nation. I'm the God of Israel. And you have that attitude toward that nation, and you will regret it forever. It's the meek who will inherit the earth, not the arrogant. Which brings us to his fourth part. God declares what he's going to do to these powers. Now in verse 9, he starts to move out from the land to the east on the west coast. And he starts moving now to the north and to the south and to east. This is one of those judicial declaration statements that he makes in verse 9. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Therefore, as I live, declares. It's declarative. And he uses the nouns to describe himself. I am the sovereign God of Israel, capital L, capital O-R-D, that's Jehovah, sovereign God of Israel, and I'm in control of all of the hosts that are seen and unseen in the heavens and on earth. And I'm also the God of Israel. He makes that point very obvious here. I'm in control of everything. And so he brings out these judgment actions that he's going to take. These are judicial declarations that he's making. He makes six specific judgment actions that he promises he will carry out. He says, I will pour out my judgment upon Moab just like I did on Sodom. Now, Moab is located in northern Jordan today. 94% of the people who live in Jordan are Arabs. And when he says, I'm going to pour out my judgment upon Moab like he did in Sodom, I literally think he's going to perhaps send fire down out of heaven when he pours out this judgment, destroy people. That hasn't happened yet. The second judgment that he promises is I will pour out judgment on Ammon like I did on Gomorrah. Now Ammon is located today 
in the southern area of Jordan, and God promises the same thing. I'm literally going to send fire out of heaven to destroy people just like I did in Gomorrah. The third judgment is God will turn their places into nettles and salt pits. In verse 9, a place possessed by nettles and salt pits. Now, Jordan today is known kind of like Kalamazoo for chemical pharmaceuticals. It produces a lot of them in Jordan. It also is known for some clothing and chemical products like potash and phosphates. God says, I will wipe that all out. I will turn this into nothing but nettles and salt pits. That sure hasn't happened yet. Fourthly, he says, if God sends fire from heaven to this area, the petroleum oil is going to burn up. I will turn the people into perpetual desolation. The fifth action is, I will cause my people to plunder them. That's what he says in verse 9. The remnant of my people will plunder them. What he's basically saying is Israel one day is going to be calling the shots, and they'll be in charge. And then sixthly, he says, I'll cause a remnant to inherit them. Verse 9 says, and the remainder of my nation will inherit them, the people, the people. And then he explains in the fifth part why he's going to do these kinds of things. And he doubles down on why he's going to do this because of their pride. He says in verse 10, for they will have in return for their pride. Now, you can't help but realize that, quite honestly, many Arabs, not all, many Arabs have proudly been against Israel in a defiant way. They hate them. They hate Israel. They actually hate the Jews. The second reason is because these Arabs have taunted Israel. The Palestinians have taunted and threatened Israel for years. You know, in Palestinian schools, they don't even show Israel's land. They don't even acknowledge that Israel's a state. And we had one Arab leader from the state of Michigan. This is shameful. This is disgraceful. But we had one Arab leader from the state of Michigan who was censored censored by Congress, including those of her own party, for taunting Israel and calling for its desolation, for its destruction. This is the attitude. This is the arrogant attitude. It's been prideful. They've taunted Israel. And thirdly, because they've been arrogant against Israel. And he brings that up again, verse 10, and become arrogant against the people of the Lord of hosts. You see, what those people don't realize, when you start arrogantly treating Israel bad, when you don't honor Israel, when you just think that Israel is just nothing and you can demean them and you can make fun of them, you are making fun of the people of the Lord of hosts. This is the sovereign God who chose these people. So when you, in effect, mock Israel, you're mocking God. Which brings us to the sixth part. God explains the relationship these people who have mocked him will have with him. There are three facts. He brings out, and anybody can apply this if you want to mock the word of God and you want to mock God. Number one, God will be terrifying to you. That's what he says in verse 11. The Lord will be terrifying to them. God basically says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do to the enemies of me and my people. I'm going to terrify them. And when you go through that book of Revelation and you get into some of those judgments that he's pouring out, it is terrifying to go through their scary stuff. Secondly, 
I will starve them in their religion and put them all out of business. He brings that up. Verse 11, he will starve all the gods of the earth. I love that. You know, Gaza actually is known for the burial place of Hashim, who's the grandfather of Mohammed. I mean, quite frankly, the religion that dominates the Arabs is the Muslim religion. It's a crazy religion. You can't even make this stuff up. I mean, if I were to say to you, well, last night I had a dream, and I got on a magical horse, and I left Kalamazoo, and I went over, and I went to Washington, and then I went up to heaven, and then I came back here, you'd say, you're out of your mind. But that, in essence, is kind of what happened to Muhammad. That's kind of what he claimed. He had this wild vision where he took a horse ride to Jerusalem from Mecca. Then he went into heaven. Then he went back to Mecca. He did it all in one night. And people go, okay, let's follow that guy. That's what they did. The primary religion of the Arabs is the Muslim religion. And it's reported right now that the fastest growing religion right now in China is Islam. Which is interesting because I've been checking our downloads this month since we've started in December. We're getting tremendous number of downloads out of Hong Kong and out of China. But the religion and false religions are going to be destroyed. God says, I'll wipe them all out. I mean, any religion that's not true to me and my word, I'm going to put it out of business. I'll put an end to it. His third fact is I will cause them to bow down to me no matter where they live. I love this in verse 11. And... All the coastlands of the nations, plural, all the coastlands of the nations will bow down to him, everyone from his own place. God says, I'll tell you what, I don't care what the nation is, I will come at them with such terrifying judgment that every one of them will be on their knees and they'll be bowed down before me. Which brings us to the seventh part. God describes what he'll do to the Ethiopians. Now he goes south, verse 12. You also, O Ethiopians, will be slain by my sword. He's going to drop down now into the Egyptian, Ethiopian, African area against people who have basically mocked him. The Ethiopians fought against Israel alongside with the Egyptian pharaoh. God hasn't forgotten about any of this stuff. And the Ethiopians had for a time been in dominant power. God says, I remember all of this. I see what's been done to my people. I've got the record of it. And when God says, I'm going to slay them by the sword, it may mean I'll use my sovereignty, or it could mean I'll use some direct military power to go in there and destroy them. But in any case, he said, don't think for one second that just because you don't live right here in the surrounding near area of the promised land that I'm not going to come get you because I'll come get you. And finally, he says, what he's going to do to the northern powers, like Assyria and Nineveh, verses 13 to 15, he'll stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. He'll make Nineveh a desolation. God says, my hand of judgment is also going to go north. I'm going to go northeast over there by the Tigris River to Nineveh, and I'm going to actually go get them. They were located about 250 miles north of Babylon, which sits on the Euphrates, and Nineveh sits on the Tigris. And God says, they think they are so secure. They actually think that nothing can hurt them. Nothing can harm them. Verse 15, they think they live securely, like they're out of reach of me. God says, I'll go get them. I'll destroy them. Now that part has been fulfilled. Literally, 14 years after Zephaniah made that prediction, in 612 B.C., Nineveh was completely destroyed 
and totally obliterated. Now today, there's a Sunni Arab population that lives there, and there's a great production of oil that's coming out of that area. So again, I say the complete fulfillment of what is promised has not yet occurred. So what's the message from this text? Well, the message to Israel is you need to turn to the Lord your God. You need to turn to Jesus Christ. He's the one that can make all of these things happen. He's the one who can give you all of the blessings of God. You need to turn to Jesus Christ. What's the message to the Arab nations? The message to the Arab nation is turn away from your false religion and arrogance against the God of Israel. Turn away from your false religion and arrogance against Israel and turn to Jesus Christ. What's the message to the United States? What's the message to Kalamazoo? Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Don't take that lightly. Because judgment is coming against all sinners who proudly and defiantly refuse to turn to Jesus Christ. You do that, he will track you down, you'll experience his wrath. Let's pray. If you never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, I wouldn't leave here tonight without settling that issue if I were you. I settled it back in 1976. You can settle it right where you sit. This is business between you and God. Just admit the truth. You're a sinner. Invite the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life to be your personal Savior. He'll do it. Father, we thank you for your precious word. Thank you that you are the God of Israel. And it's amazing to think being the God of Israel, that you allowed us to get some of the crumbs of that national program that went our way to individuals like us. We thank you, Lord, for grafting us into her program and giving us a wonderful opportunity to have a wonderful relationship with you as God. We want to pray tonight for Jewish people and the nation Israel. We pray that you would work mightily there. We pray you care for those people, provide for those people. We pray that you meet all of their needs. We pray that there would be a real spiritual revival that would even be caused by you that would come out of this war that's taking place. And we pray for the Arab people. Lord, they need to realize that they're on a dead-end street. And I pray that they would come to their senses, and only you can cause that. We pray you would. In Jesus' name, amen.